You know, when you play games, you like to put them on top of something. So an obvious choice to put your games on top of is a game topper. The game topper converts any table into an amazing playing surface. Nice rails, inlay playing area, a lot of accessories like cup holders and token holders. To find out more, head over to GameToppersLLC.com. Hey y'all, it's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. On today's episode, the guys will review the games, whoa, all these games? Yeah, all of them. Blockbuster Party Game, Saint Noir, Letter Jam, Ecos, Cartographers, Era, and City of the Big Shoulders. You did all this in an hour and a half? Surprisingly, yes. Hello and welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 180180, Old Days. And I'm Tony. And this is Marty. Tony, you sound you sound tired. I am. You know, we do have my job's actually kicking in. We have a hurricane sitting there. Mr. Dorian is or Miss Dorian. I don't know. I don't know which one this is. Have you looked between its never mind. No. Um, so here, here here's the deal. So for those who don't know, Tony, we've talked about this before when storms come up, all of a sudden you get extremely busy. What is it you do in your real life? That you have to deal with like these situations like when hurricanes come around. Normally, my job is to make sure that the power company and the departments in transmission are prepared, ready for these events. And when they roll in, my job is to go and evaluate and make sure we're doing what we need to do. So that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm located in a city that may be impacted and therefore... You know, I'm talking to the teams, making sure that the incident command is set up. So I was supposed to maybe go to Florida when Dorian was going to um, slam into Florida. And now it may hit us here in the Carolinas. So I'm now in Raleigh. So in real life, my job is basically saying, are we prepared for these storms? And to remind people of what we all need to be doing, doing the training, the drills and all that fun stuff. I think we have to answer the question that everybody's wanting to know. Do you get to climb the poles and fix the lines and transformers? Good God, no. I would not do that. That is that. (laughs) My hat is off to those guys. That is just crazy talk right there. You know, that's, oh, man. Those guys amaze me when they go up those towers. Oh, that's some scary stuff. I'm scared of heights, man. So basically, (laughs) you're in some cushy office space somewhere just saying, yeah, send this crew out there out into the storm and, and fix that line over there i don't do that someone else does that i make sure he's doing that that's right so yeah but see like we can't send our crews out during a storm people don't people understand that but do they really i'm not getting my cat video in time my power's not on so why are you guys not up 100 feet in a bucket truck with winds and 70 mile per hour winds? Well, I wanted to bring it up just to let people know that we are, what, about uh, three hours apart. You're sitting in a hotel room in Raleigh, mm-hmm. and I am sitting in the Cush Studios back home. And uh, thankfully, it looks like right now in the Charlotte area, the hurricane's not going to you know really affect us too much, maybe a little rain here and there. So we keep hoping that that sucker keeps moving more and more east and doesn't affect us at all of course by the time this comes out we'll we'll know exactly what happened but in this point in time it could have been a lot worse right tony i mean at one point in time this sucker was coming right over land and it's luckily peeled away but just today the national hurricane center said oh look there's a new depression forming off of uh the coast of africa that should be here by the end in about another 10 days well it is hurricane season it is it really is 
but I mean, to live, I put a poll out on our BGG Guild number 1589 asking, what would you do? What would you do about what? If you lived on a coast and a hurricane was coming, would you hang around? When would you leave? One of the answers is, why would you put yourself in that position? That's more me, man. I, I like to visit the coast. I really would have no desire to live there, especially in Hurricane was not called Hurricane Alley. That's Tornado Alley. Right. Anyway, in a place frequently hit by hurricanes, which places like the Florida coast and the North Carolina coast, because we jut out so far into the ocean that we, we tend to get hit a lot. Yeah. So everybody down in the Wilmington area, I hope you're hanging on tight because it's going to come at you. But worst of all, this means I miss game night this week. That is true. And that stinks because usually our weekly game nights is where we get a chance to uh, you know, play the games that we're going to be talking about in future episodes. But it's just so ha- luckily we'll have another game night before we record our next episode. And we're going to try to be decide what we're going to play and everything. In fact, I was talking to Nate and Mark today about what game we're going to bring to the table. And Nate has been dying to play PAX Premier, which we got a copy of. So I'm anxious to learn that game. It's a little bit heavier game to go along with the even heavier game that we played uh, a couple weeks ago, or most recently city of the big shoulders, which we'll be covering on this show. And I understand why you titled it this episode old days, because that's by the group Chicago. And the game is set in the old days. Looky there. It sure is, man. You just, wow. From, from the song title to the group that made it, you just kind of fit it all in there. And I did it in five minutes too. You did. <laughs> so I can't wait to dig into that. We're going to do an extended session of that one because Tony, this is your and I first time playing a game that had what they call an 18xx feel without being a real 18xx game. So we're going to share our experience of what we thought about that style of game. Right. And looking at our show notes, I don't think I need to be around for game nights because my gosh, man, you've played a ton of games and I wasn't Mm. there. I mean, where in the world do you find this time? So I'm starting to corral my family more and more into getting them into games. And it's, and it's the games, Tony, that maybe you and I at game night wouldn't get on on the table because the people that we're playing with might not be interested in playing these like shorter party type games. Usually when we get together, we have several hours and we want to play something that's probably at least an hour long, you mm-hmm. know, when we play. But one game I was really excited to play, especially with my family, was a game that I saw at Gen Con. It's Block Puster. Wow. Blockbuster. That's good. Blockbuster party game from Big Potato Games. You saw the booth at Gen Con, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It looked exactly like the inside of a Blockbuster. They had a bunch of VHS tapes sitting out, along with the games that you can buy. And the the game is boxed in a VHS style of case. They had a checkout register. And everybody was dressed in the Blockbuster employee uniform. It It was the best booth of Gen Con. What'd they do? Go out to the local dump to get all those plastic cases or something? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But they sent us a copy of this game. And as soon as I showed it to my family, they went, yes, we must play that. Because I have a movie-watching family. And we just love movies. And this game is a total blast if you're into movies. The concept is, is you're going to split up into teams. And uh, then you have almost like a family feud type beginning of the round to see which team gets to go first. So you, one of you from each team goes head to head. You draw a card off the top of a deck, and then you're going to try to name as many moves as you can to fill whatever that card asks. Say, for example, name a movie with a cowboy, and you both go back and forth 
till one of you can't name a movie. Okay. And then the other team gets to go. And what they do is they draw six cards off the top of the deck, all consisting of titles of movies. They pick three that they want to keep and they give the other three to the other team. Then you must assign each one of those to a category. One is you must act it out. One is you must give a quote from the movie. And the other is just give a one word hint from those, you try to get all three movies and you have a, a little timer uh, that you start running. It's a 30 second timer. And basically you earn points uh, by, by guessing the titles of the movies. The goal is to get one of each genre of movie. And there are like six different genres. So you try to get one comedy, one action, one drama, etc. That's the whole course of the game, but it is a lot of fun. Again, if you know movies, I was gonna say you have to know movies. Yes. Now it was funny. There was, there's, gosh, I don't know how many cards and hundreds of, of movies in there. So my sons decided, let's go see if they picked any obscure movies. And so they went through them and they said they knew all but like one. Mm. So, so it's a lot of very common movies, but it's really interesting when you see a movie that you're trying to get somebody else to guess. And it's like, oh, cause you got a decision to make at the beginning. Which one of these should I act out? Which one should I give a quote from? Oh, and by the way, if that stumps people, it's like, I don't know movies well enough to give a quote. You can make up a quote as if it would have been in that movie. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to give an exact quote, but you can say this person might have said, and then you say that and you see if they can get it. So anyway, so we just had a ball with it. The aesthetics are, are great. It's at Target. It's a Target exclusive. Okay. Uh, so head out to Target. It's like $20, $25. If you're into movies and this one, I don't know. If, would you like this one, Tony? Would you like try this one? Or it's like, you just don't think you would know enough movies to really get into it. I would not have a problem with knowing enough movies. That's not a problem, but Donna would not. She, we, you know, we go to the movies all the time, but she has no clue about the names it, it, she watches and she processes it out where you and I we will sit there and we will know our movies we can go back and forth like I'm sitting here when you said name one with a cowboy and I'm like okay Tombstone Wyatt Earp uh, 315 to Uma Stagecoach you know I would have kept going you know, yes you know and she would have gone Ah, so there you go. You know, it's just, it's, it's that recall of what you enjoy and um, I enjoy the movies. What sucked was, uh, we played against me and Vanessa played against, um, my two older sons and they destroyed us because when you're under the gun to come up with a movie title that starts with S and after you exhausted about five or six and so have they, you just draw a freaking blank. Oh yeah. Any of those games. And when the timer runs out, then you start naming them off left and right, you know, but under the pressure of the time, uh, by the way, there's a timer running for that too. Basically when somebody names a movie, they hit a button and it resets the 15 second timer and it keeps going back and forth till somebody's 15 second timer expires. Okay. Well, yeah. well I, I sit there and I watch, um, we've gotten into watching the game show network at home, watching mm-hmm. old reruns of family uh, food, feud. Sorry about that. Feud. Family Feud with Steve Harvey. But there's another show that says America Says. And it is a game show that basically it's two teams pitted against one another where they are trying to guess what America would say to answer this question. For instance, just recently there was one that said, America Says, these are our favorite stars that have appeared in superhero movies. And the words all have the beginning letter. All right. Okay. And then like, for instance, one of them had RR and you have seven of them and you got 30 seconds to name all these stars that were in it. And so I'm sitting there, you know, oh my gosh, I, 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 I could, I could only get four of them, mm-hmm. but I knew all of them. And that's what, yep. so I can understand that. It's where you get time pressure gets to you. So another thing I thought the family would like, so we really enjoyed detective. 
uh, from uh, Portal Games. Well, a game was announced uh, that's coming out that came out from Amazon and it's designed by Nolan Bushnell. Does that name ring a bell to you? Bushnell. Bushnell. Did he do like um, what you would call it? Bi- bi- uh, camera lenses and. Um binoculars and things like that well i think that i think there is a bushnell yeah but no this is the guy who invented pong and atari oh that bushnell yes and now that you say that there actually is (laughs) yeah bushnell was also like it's it's uh okay now i'm gonna have to look this up you're right it's bush something uh it it could be it is bushnell binoculars yes there is actually a brand yeah but i mean google's an amazing thing but yeah no i remember seeing bushnell binoculars and that's why i was thinking oh so the guy who started this company or whatever bushnell is who knows it may not be a person it may just be a name they came up with i don't know or maybe they were fans of him i don't know hey we play pong so much that we had to name our company after him when we created these binoculars (laughs) it may have been anyway so it's the why you really threw me because it's like wait a minute that is binoculars too Uh, so nolan bushnell uh famous in the 70s for you know coming out with the pong game launched a bunch of atari games started the atari company basically Mm -hmm. the 2600 which got me into video games and uh, so anyway, he can he designed a board game. Oh wow. And it's called it's called Saint Noir, okay. which is a detective style board game that uses an Alexa skill to run the game. Okay. Uh, but it's an integral part of the game by basically you're in this little town of Saint Noir, and it's the concept is like clue. There's a murder, you have to find out who did it, what they do it with, and where do they do it. Okay. Much like the Clue board game. So it gives you hints that it says, you know, this is such and such happened. And it looked like it was like a blunt instrument. And there's like three types of weapons. There's like, you know, a gun, a blunt instrument, and a sharp instrument. Okay. There's locations on the board. There's like uh, eight eight or ten locations on the board. And basically, you start talking to Alexa. You're like the detective. And you say, Alexa? examine the drugstore and it goes into this little narration where it says you walk into the drugstore and you dig around and you find oh a machete but you were told that what you were looking for was a a gun and so you realize okay well it didn't happen at the drugstore then as you look through town you're trying to find out where it happened that's that's how you do that but then you can actually talk to people let's say for example you find that there's a gun at the school you go, Alexa, I want to talk to principal such and such. They have these character cards where you can say, I want to talk to principal, whatever his name is. And the guy comes in, does a narration thing, like a little skit and says, oh yeah, I was uh, not there on the night of the murder. Instead, I was somewhere else. And then you take his character card and wherever he says he is, you put him on that spot as being suspicious. Now at this point, you can ask anybody anything on the location that's beside them to the left or to the right. So I could ask that principal, okay, you said you were at the drugstore, but who was in the bar beside you? And he'll say, I saw such and such at the bar. Then you can question that person and go, who was in the uh, building beside you? And if they say it's the principal, then ah, then we can trust the principal. Somebody has corroborated his story. But if they say somebody else, then one of the two are lying. So that's the trick of the game is that multiple people could lie just because they're lying doesn't mean that they're the murderer. So Alexa's now playing a social deduction game on me. Uh, maybe somewhat, but here's the thing. The more that we play, we thought this was really cool, but the more we play, we realized, wait a minute. This is basically a logic puzzle 
disguised as a detective themed game. Okay. Because it's really, it's like, okay, you say you were here. Who was to the left or right of you? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ask that person. Okay, they've corroborated your story. So now I can ask you who's to the who's to the other side of them and believe them that they're true. And then you just start connecting the dots back to where you found the murder weapon. And eventually you'll find who was in that building and what the weapon was. And then you say, I accuse such and such. And they'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Is there a timer? I mean, can you keep going and going and going? That is a great question. You get three questions per day, and it takes you seven days to solve the mystery. So you basically have 21 questions. Ah, that sounds like a familiar game. And if you don't solve the mystery by the fourth night, the murderer will kill somebody else. Okay. But- What's weird is it really doesn't matter. I was going to say, okay, was there, do I lose points here? Is no. Okay. That's, that's the weird part. It's just like pressure. It's like, I just don't want somebody else to die, but if they do, it really doesn't matter because you have to stay on the first case. Anyway, here's the thing. The game's like $40. It looks great. It's packaged really well. It's a great use of an Alexa skill, one of the best ones that I've seen. But after playing it multiple times, it really is a logic puzzle. And the narration that you hear from the people talking kind of repeats itself mm, after a while. Okay. I was going to ask you about re- replayability. Does it repeat? Can you get the same one? You'll be, oh, I, we just did this one. If you want to see a really good detail on what it looks like everything, Jamie from The Secret Cabal put a, a video of it on his YouTube channel where he reviewed the game. So if you want to go see how it looks and everything, like I said, the production is just top notch, but it's really cool to see this guy come out with the game. And it's one of those things that if you want to play a detective deduction type game within 20 minutes it only takes 20 minutes you can pull this out and play it and because of the variability of the game you can play it over and over without any repeats i have the alexa cube you know the one that has the fire stick tv inside it was the cube that came out i I thought it was gonna be really cool and all that it is probably for some odd reason it does not work as well as a normal Alexa, you know, the dots or those kind. Yeah. I don't know why that is. I mean, I guess maybe my TV needs to be on instead of it speaking. I don't know. Sometimes it just sits there and, and the, and does the Cylon thing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth and never responds. And I think that would frustrate the man. I, I could see me getting, I'd be interested to play this game on mine and just see how terrible my Alexa is. Because that would be upsetting to you. You spend that money on the game, and then your Alexa is not very good. Now, there are there were a couple bugs uh, with the Alexa app, and I think they've been fixing those. It seems like when Jamie played it, he ran into a lot more issues. But there was one time that we were just talking amongst ourselves, and Alexa thought we asked her a question, and we didn't. Mm-hmm. So it cost us one of our questions. And it's like, wait a minute, we, we no, that wasn't our question, you know. So it just picked up on something and answered it. So it kind of screwed us up. So you kind of have to be careful. So then we end up started whispering. Well, do you think it happened over here? So she wouldn't hear us. Right. That's the nice thing about the software where they can tweak it and, and make it better o- over time. So I will definitely let you borrow it. Uh, like I said, you and Donna may like it. It's it, you can learn it and play it and put it away within twenty five minutes. Okay. Well, that's right in my sweet spot on time. I can mm-hmm. I can see where that's a problem. Now, I know you've got to play a lot, but actually Donna and I did get to play a game just recently, mm-hmm. and it's from Stronghold. It's called uh, Second Chance, an Uwe Rosenberg game, if I remember Ooh, correctly. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember. If I, let, let's look that one up, because this one's catching me off, 
off guard all of a sudden for some odd reason. This is what happens when you're in Raleigh. You kind of get caught off guard. You get flowing. You don't have all your notes and everything with you. You don't have the game right in front of you. Oh, and you just can't type second chance and hope that it pops up. You really got to, because you know how there's a lot of things called second chance. You know that? There's a lot of, there's TV shows called Second Chance. There's, oh my God, here we go. Here we go. Way to go, Second Chance on Board Game Geek. Would you look at that? I was right. It is Stronghold Games. Oh, hey, do you know Hotel Internet is performing very well tonight? <laughs> it is. I am uh, I'm very impressed by this. And yes, it is Uwe Rosenberg. Too. Yes, it is. So this is along his lines. If you know Patchwork, you know he loves his little pieces or or the summer games or Spring Meadow and all those games that he came out with. His Tetris-type games. His Tetris-type games. Now, you know, uh, it's one to six players. And the basic concept of this game is everybody has a, it's not a roll and write, it's a draw and write. Ah, which we're going to be talking about later too. Another draw and write game. But isn't drawing and write... Okay, you're drawing cards. See, that could confuse me. Drawing right? <laughs> it's draw and draw. That's exactly what it is. It's a it's a big grid, and you are trying to complete the most grid by putting Tetris pieces on a piece of paper. So the starting piece is a very complicated piece. It's 81 squares, and so the object is you're filling out this 81-square board, and whoever has the least squares at the end of the game uncovered... Least empty squares. Least empty squares is the winner. Okay, yes. So it's a nine by nine. Nine by nine. So you have that, and you're drawing in these pieces, and the reason why it's called second chance is if you cannot fit one of those pieces in, then you may flip over a card just for you. Mm. And you, if you can place it, great. If you can't, you're out of the game. So it's player elimination. Uh, it has player elimination. And people keep playing until someone completely fills their board or no one can fill in their board anymore, and that's the game. Donna really enjoyed it. She thought she thought this was a, a fun game. It was a nice break from all the rolling rights. And the fact that I beat her makes it even more enjoyable for me because she always beats me in these games. <laughs> always beats me in these games. Very quick game. Easy to teach. I mean, it's one of those little pamphlet teaches, you know, hey, do this, do this. You're, you're good. You're golden. Go out and check it out. That is Second Chance from Stronghold Games designed by Uwe R- Rosenberg. Did I say that? Uwe? Uwe? Uwe. 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 Now, are you done with all your games? Nope, I got one more. Okay. When we were at Gen Con, we got a copy of the new cooperative word game called Letter Jam from Czech Games Edition. This is designed by Andre Scoopy. Scoopy. And uh, when I first got this, Tony, for some reason, I pictured... I don't know. A lot of people who had played this said, if you like just one, you're going to like this one. I thought, Sweet. I love just one great party game. So I got out the rules for this game and I started reading it and I was the most confused (laughs) for what I thought was, I went to this thing when there's a simple party game, but as I was reading the rules of where you get like this big handful of cards and then you, from those cards, you spell a five letter word. Each of you do secretly. And when you're done, you put the discarded cards in a pile you take your five words and pass, or your words, your five cards, and pass them to the person to the right. They don't look at them. They put them down, scramble them up. They pick up one card, put it in a little holder to where everybody else on the table can see it except you. So at this point, you're seeing other people's letters except yours. And now you're supposed to make a word from those letters that are showing 
whoever word you go with, you try to guess that word and write it on your paper for the whole purpose of guessing what your letter is. And if you know, you move on to your next letter and you keep going till everybody tries to determine what those letters are in front of them to descramble them to make the original five or a five letter word that was passed to them. And that's the game. My head hurts. I know. That's what I'm saying, dude. I mean, that, that's literally the game right there. But I'm reading through this and I'm like, okay, this this is not a party game. No. So I, no, I played this game and I pitched it to my family. Quick game, just one party game. And then I read the rules and went, guys, there's more to this than, than what we thought. So as we started playing the game, we went, wow, this is this is a very thinky game. Now, it plays up to six players, and you always have six letters showing. Now, we were only playing three people, but what happened? You have three uh, NPCs basically sitting off to the side, so you have stands for them to where three letters are drawn from the deck. So you're always going to see five letters, but you can't see your own. From those, then you're trying to come up with the word, and it's like, I'll, I'll say, here's a prime example. Hey, uh, Vanessa and Adam, I have a four-letter word that uses each of your letters and two of the letters of the NPCs. And then we'll go, okay, then we'll use your word. So what? I, well, you take these tokens, number tokens, one, two, three, four, they go up to whatever, and I put in front of each letter... Which you know, what's the first letter, second letter, third letter? So there's going to be a token in front of them that indicates, okay, my unknown letter is either one through four. So on their paper, they write down the letters they know and put a question mark in the one they don't. Well, if they guess the word, well, perfect. They write down on their little scratch sheet of paper or a piece of uh, paper, and they re- realize, okay, I know my this one letter. I can pull it out, put it aside, and bring in a new one. You keep doing this over and over again. But the thing is, though, you only have a limited number of actions, depending on the number of players. Once you run out of little action tokens or clue tokens, the game ends. And then at that point, you see if anybody can guess any of their any any of the words that were in front of them. Now you have a a set of five letters. If you don't get the person's original word, that's fine. You just have to identify what those five unknown letters were to you and make up a word out of it. Again, it was after the end, it probably took us about 30 to 40 minutes. Dude, we had a headache because you're sitting there racking your brain. What is the best clue that I can give to somebody? What if let's see, well, if I give them this three letter word, they can fill in that missing letter with, one of six letters to spell six different words. So that's not any good. You got to come up with a good word to where it limits the number of words that might could possibly be. No, it is a fun game, but it is not. I don't remember who told me. If you like just one, you're going to like this. This is in a different, this is in a different sphere to me. This is one of those games after listening to you explain it for the past three minutes, I'm like, I've got to watch this to understand it. I know. I know. And people are like going, Marty, we don't know what you're talking about. And that's, that's, I think that's the part I want to get across. It is a good game when you're trying to explain it. Oh my gosh. When I was trying to explain it to Vanessa and Adam, it's like, I I just don't get it. I said, let's just start. Yeah. And and it'll kind of pick up. Now, once we did, we got rolling, we got moving, but then you, when you realize, Oh, well now I kind of see what the goal is. I really got to do some heavy thinking here. Mm-hmm. And then there's this constant tug of war. It's like each of us have good clues, but whose word should we go with? Well, we should go with the one who, number one, could possibly help somebody else determine what their unknown letter is. Mm-hmm. Let's say Vanessa, I, we know four of our letters, but Vanessa only knows two. We need to get through Vanessa's letters. We need to focus on her. But we can't keep giving her clues because we'll run out of clues that we can give. She needs to give some back to us 
to finish our unknown letters. I'm going to hand this one to you. I want to see what you and Donna think. I think it would be more. I think it needs to be more than two people. I was going to say it, it's got to be more than two. I, I'm not seeing this no, one on the table anytime soon. Well, no, it supports two to six, <sighs> but I think it would be more fun. It's probably even more fun with four, four or five, and we played with three. Okay. I'm I'm always game to game. I got a shirt that says Letter Jam on it. Uh, that's a nice shirt too. Yeah, that, that's one of those really comfy, uh, like nice cloth mm-hmm. shirts. Really yeah. comfy. That was, that was a good shirt, but that sounds a lot of brain work. That's not one of those that you just drop on the table like just one. No, mm. no, it is. It is not one you like start at one a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's not to me. That wasn't a game that you end the night with. Is like, oh, we finished playing City of the Big Shoulders. Let's just pull out this game to finish out the night. Yeah, that's not where you're gonna have that funny incident like we had with just one recently, where the the clues were dreidel, Jewish, menorah, meerkat, Hanukkah. Yeah, but meerkat. I don't know what that is, but from the other ones, I would say Hanukkah. Right. They misread it as Akuna Matata. <laughs> And we were all like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's funny. (laughs) That's a funny story. Yeah, like, okay. And then we we actually played it this past weekend, just when we taught um, some people. And it was four people. Four people is freaking hard. You like it with more? Yes. I do. Yeah. And I actually pulled one out. I actually pulled two out. Of nowhere, my, my clues were Swedish, Danish meatballs. Uh, hold on. Ikea? Yes. Why wouldn't one of the clues furniture? Well, why Danish? That threw me off. I just heard Swedish and meatballs. Yeah, but why did <laughs> Swedish meatballs take you to Ikea? I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I guess what they're doing marketing-wise is working. Because <laughs> now when I think of meatballs and cinnamon buns, uh, yeah. I think of Ikea. Ikea, exactly. And then um, another one we had was treaty, peace, and ending. Ending? Ending, or ended. In uh, Geneva? It was armistice, and I pulled that one out. Armistice, oh, okay. Yeah. And I, and they're like, where in the world are you getting these? And I'm like, I don't know. But then simple ones, <laughs> I've never seen it where all of us wrote the same clue. And I was like, oh, well, that was easy. That's what's so that's what's so clever about that game. And I just saw that they repackaged that game for Target, where you can't got to flip the box over to see what the art what, what the game is about. What they've done is they've shifted up the title just a bit, and on the bottom they show an example of a bunch of words listed. Oh, nice! And then the clue that you're trying to give. I mean, that's a smart marketing plan. So because when you're walking through Target. If I haven't got to pick up a box and flip it over, you know, I'm more likely to be curious about what it is if I see right on the front what it does. I thought it was a good marketing move. Yeah, I do too. But yeah, get me Letter Jam. I'll try it out with some really smart people above me and we'll see how well we do. Yeah, because I really don't have much time to play games anymore because I kind of... Uh, yeah, you, you you went down. Oh my gosh. What were you thinking? I resubbed World of Warcraft Classic. Everybody knows it is WoW. WoW Classic. Okay. It is, but just in case they didn't know, yes, I'm uh, playing Wild Classic again as the same character I played in 2004, Silent, as a shaman Torin. But you didn't have to start at zero. I did. With everybody, just like launch night in 2004, everybody comes into the starting zone level one. It was crazy. Yeah, I saw some of the queue times. That's just sad. (laughs) 
<laughs> so here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. I did this strictly for nostalgia purpose because I remember one rainy, cold November night in 2004 going out to the GameStop at Sycamore Commons in Matthews, North Carolina, standing in line at the midnight release of this game, getting the special edition box, which I still own, going back home, getting it to install, sitting down to play. You have a two-hour wait. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like that that first night. But since then, it, the queues haven't been there. I've been able to get in. You know, the whole joke with this thing was a couple years ago, 2016, at one of the uh, BlizzCon, somebody asked, hey, would you ever consider releasing some of the previous versions to play? And the developer went, no, you think you want that, but you don't. And then a year later, eating his words, it's like, we're going to offer a wild classic to the stock price of Activision Blizzard shooting up right as the re- release of that game millions of people resubbing you know to, to Blizzard so you think you want it but you don't well a lot of people did now that doesn't mean a month from now they're all going to go away and they may but a lot of people have come back just to re-experience the game and I'll tell you what it is a very sandboxy game there is, is a lot of grinding it's so much grinding so that I cranked up Guild Wars 2 and I went, oh, yeah, I remember how good this game is now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, Guild Wars 1. I didn't have to grind. I didn't have to go take a pickaxe to a bunch of minerals. Oh, my gosh. The other night, it was like, how many jaguars do I have to kill to get that tooth? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Where's that? Dro- oh, wait. I need to go do this quest that kills 15 Gurgernox or whatever they were. Oh, Oh, Lordy. Yeah. So anyway, you know what? The grind's there, but so is the social aspect. It's really cool. Even back in the old days, I remember you were working on something and somebody would come by and they were kind of, they would see, do you need help or anything? And if they do, they'd give you a heal or help you kill it. And they kind of move on or a lot of great people. If you're going to a spot and everybody's trying to work on the same thing, you group up, you all work together, help each other out. That whole social aspect was really cool to see people just getting together online and help each other, stuff like that. But, you know, it's one of those things people like ask, you know, how long did I play? I only played, I think we only played, wow, six months maybe? Because what happened in April of the next year, uh, Guild Wars 1 came out. Then we canceled our subscription to World of Warcraft and basically stayed with Guild Wars from then on out. I started up Guild Wars 1 about three months ago just to see if I remembered my password. It should be the same as Guild Wars. They are, I'm surprised the servers still work on, on Guild Wars 1. So, But it's really cool because so, I'm playing in a guild uh, with a bunch of other people in the industry, like Scott Mars and Joel Eddy. Uh, we have a, a guild called uh, the Promo Pack. Okay, there you ah, go. Ah, promo mm. pack. Uh, and like uh, some people from AEG are playing and from Alderac are playing. So it's cool just to kind of all get us getting there together and play. So if you have problems of games not coming out on time from like AEG, Alderac, Renegade games, it's because they're playing WoW. Now, are you playing PvP server? No, 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 no. Just the regular PvE. Wow, really? I thought you would go hardcore on PvP. Dude, I, I, I have never been hardcore. In fact, we talked about, does anybody want to do PvP? And one person said, I'm old and have kids. No thank you. <laughs> well, maybe this in the next few months, you can make it to the Molten Core and get your keys or whatever it is you need and go battle that. And you know what's so funny is, I don't know how many people still remember in today's time, you know, the Leroy Jenkins and the true start of it. 
But, you know, that's where it came from. And, you know, it's one of those things that's out there. And as most of the people that are playing, this isn't their first go around. Yeah. They played when it originally came out. Again, it was for nostalgia, hearing that music again. It had been, you know, just like when I cranked up the City of Heroes free server. It was the it was the same sort of nostalgia there, too. Again, you know what? A month, two months from now, I may not be playing anymore. That's fine. I enjoyed my time in it so far. It is what it is. Yeah, and I may have found my last tower in um, Breath of the Wild and have the map at least done, and then I can go between regions. Nice. I'm getting there. I'm on, I'm I'm getting the west side of the map complete now. Let me let me tell you something, dude. You are way further in that game I ever got. Way way further. Now I'm not saying I'm questing right now, doing my quest, but I am just trying to set up because you said you want your towers. And I said, well. I've gotten my stamina to where I can fly a lot farther. And therefore, that's why I'm going after tower after tower after tower. So then I can just jump back and forth. How many hours have you put in? I don't know. I'm curious to see what it is. Cause I guarantee you it's it's more than me. So I'm glad you're enjoying it. I have pre-ordered Link's Awakening. Okay. I will be playing that one. That's only a 15-hour game. So that's a lot shorter. So good stuff. Have we done all our reviews or we've got other ones because we've been going for a while. Uh, when we jump into a, a five-minute initiative for a game that's coming out pretty soon from AEG that we got a chance to check out at Gen Con and got an early copy of, and that's Ecos. <laughs> You finally got your copy of Wingspan, or maybe you've had your copy of Wingspan and you want a way to organize and play this game. Well, that's why you need to go out to the Broken Token and check out their brand new Wingspan organizer. Has all these nice trays for holding your eggs, has these nice trays for holding all your cards in place, and for a limited time, when you order the Wingspan organizer, you can get the mini dice tower kit birdhouse for 20% off and that fits inside the box with the rest of the organizer. So to see pictures of this and see how it works, check out Wingspan for $34.99 the organizer and 20% off the $15 Birdhouse Dice Tower. That's at thebrokentoken.com. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. We got to play a new game from AEG called Ecos, designed by John D. Clare. That's not John DeClaire. It's John D. Period Clare. And this game is all about you being a supreme being. That's right. You are out there molding the planet. You have visions of grandeur in your head. And this is coming straight from BGG, Marty. That's right. But what is... This game offer that's one of my favorite things is that it is simultaneous. That's right. Players will be placing cubes on an engine that they are allowed to fire that will give them the ability to mold the planet, to place animals, put in land features, add a mountain, raise a mountain from the ground, or put a tree down in hopes of getting victory points. And the first player to either 60 or 80 victory points is the winner. That's actually pretty much it in a nutshell. You have these cards that you have at the beginning of the game. You get to start out with three, and there's little icons on the uh, side of the card that once you have a cube on each of those icons, you get to activate the card. And you may wonder, well, Marty, how do you get the little cubes on those icons? And I would say 
from a draw bag, you pull these really nice wooden tokens that have the emblems on them. And when it's like bingo, you call it a call out and said, okay, here's this symbol. Everybody who has that symbol gets to take one of their cubes from their resources and put it on that spot. Once a card is full of cubes, you yell, Ecos, and then you get to activate your card. And like you said, Tony, it is putting in a new desert or forest hex or a sea tile or putting in different types of animals into the area for the whole goal of trying to create victory points. Because as you do this, some of these will be able to, to generate victory points as you go along. Or Tony, I think the big thing here is this is an engine building game. And a lot of these are done by combos. So by firing one card, it may say, okay, you fired this card. I'm going to give you a wild resource to put somewhere else. You might could put it on another card that would allow you to fire that one that allow you to do something else. And you could trigger these massive combos, which if you like engine building, then you really should check this one out. But one of the key things I think Marty is on these cards. If you can't do, there's some actions that you have to do in order to create a chain, right? Yes. And I think that's something that's very important that people need to make sure because that rule can be easily missed because you have to be able to place that tree or place that mountain because if you can't, when that card fires, then everything down below it doesn't count. So that's a key rule to keep in place. Also, you start off with seven bingo cubes. If you're unable to place one of those cubes, you're able to rotate a card. And when, as you rotate this card, it can either give you an additional cube later or allow you to play a card or draw a card to help add to your hand. So these are all actions because people may be sitting there. Well, if I can't place it, what do I do? Just sit there? No, there is a, you have to, you will rotate a card that will give you additional cubes or cards to your hands. Now for me, Marty, what I enjoyed about the game was the fact that I'm sitting there with all these cards trying to figure out that engine. One of my negatives of it is I'm sitting with all these cards in my hand trying to figure out this engine. Yeah, it's 12 cards. Oh, my god! There gosh. are a lot of cards to try to read. And we did a drafting mechanic, which I really like because we could set up our little engine at the beginning of the game. So a lot of us didn't draw additional cards because from what we had at the beginning of the game, we were just using those, our handful to generate the engine we wanted. It just so happened the person we played with, Nate, generated an, an amazing engine and destroyed, destroyed us. Destroyed us. People may be saying, well, all I'm doing is playing bingo. There was strategy. This In our other plays, it was just like, we, in the first play, we didn't get it. But in our next place, it was like, oh, wait a minute. I need to place, I have all these tiles that need to happen here. I need to manipulate it. So I need to play a card that helps me manipulate it. So you've got to think through that. So there was some strategy. Oh, if I do this one and fire this engine, I'm going to hurt myself. Light game, very easy to teach, but there's strategy that's hidden in it, especially if you can know what's in your hand with all those cards. Yeah, and like you said, there's rules for placement, right? Like, I can't put a tree in a desert unless I put a mountain first. Or I can put a tree in a forest, but if I have a mountain, I can put an extra tree. Some of the animals that you get to place, and they have all these nice little animal tokens, some of them require to be put in certain locations. The sea, desert, forest, or like under a tree or something like that. And you can only put one animal at a time in one spot, but they can move around. The animals can actually migrate. And some of them, you actually get points if you're able to migrate animals. So all these cards do all these different things. By the end of the game, you have this big world. Tony, the components of this game are top notch. It has these nice little holders for holding all the animals in place. And when you put it away, you can lock the animals down in the little cardboard holders. Uh, the tiles are nice. The nice big wooden tokens in the bag that you use for drawing and playing like the bingo look really good. If you're looking for a strong, easy, easy to teach, but very thinky engine builder, you really should check out Ecos. I agree with you completely, Marty. Now, one thing I will say, 
If you liked Rise of Augustus, this definitely takes it to the next level, but you owe yourself to at least give this a play. Five-minute initiative is complete. Tony, you and I, for the longest time, have been talking about how we would love to try an 18xx games. Uh, You like train games. I like economic games. But we either get intimidated by it or, you know, we just can't find the time because, Tony, want to understand those games can last many hours. And so we just never had a chance to play. Yes, I agree. I mean, railways takes forever. So it's kind of intimidating to get on the table, though I enjoy playing it. But I'm with you. Yes, 18xx, if it's going to take three to four hours, I'm like, oh, my. Do I want to play three to four hours on the stock market? No. That's not my job. Exactly. So when we got a call from or an email from designer Raymond Chandler, who said he wanted us to check out his game City of the Big Shoulders at Gen Con and then explained to us that this had an 18xx feel, but in a lot less time and without like route building and stuff like that was more of an economic game. We thought, okay, we'll go and check it out. And Tony, one morning we went over there and Raymond sat us in front of this board and explained to us what this game was about. And you and I were like, Oh yeah, we need to try this. Mm -hmm. So he gave us a copy to check out and we got to play it. And, uh, in short, I really enjoyed my experience with this game. Oh, I did too. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, for me, it was easy to understand. And based on previous episodes, people know that sometimes, oh, I don't know, maybe I get a little upset with games if I don't understand them, but this one I understood. Yeah. And it's one of those things that too, I love the theme. So the concept is, is this, uh, game takes place right after Chicago burned the great fire and takes place over 50 years. You can buy a company and the companies that you can buy and invest in were actual companies during that time, like Spalding and Floorsheim and uh, what was some other Cracker Jack and stuff. These were actual companies mm-hmm. that existed and you play it basically through the depression. The whole goal is try to get the most money by the end of the game. But the 18xx form of this game is, I didn't understand what 18xx economics was, Tony, until we played this. And then I realized it's like, oh, so there's this concept of you have your own personal money. And when you buy a company, they have their own personal money or they have their own company that they use and your personal money and their money are separate from each other. And when you do things, you pull from different pools of money. Right. And one thing you've got to keep separate with that, the money, is the concept of I'm an investor and to win, I've got to make a lot of money. Yes, I want my company to be successful, but any company I invest in, I want to be successful. I just need to invest smarter than the other guy. You don't want to sit there and just focus on your one company. Nate tried it, but he also went out and did some other investments. But you've got to do that. You can't just sit there in your little pigeonhole in a Euro type game and think, oh, I'm just going to concentrate here. It doesn't work. And in fact, what we're going to do is this game is take takes place over a few phases. And we're just going to explain the game by talking about the phases and what they do. And right when you start the game is each of you are going to start your first company. You're each going to have a, a company to choose from and you and you buy that company and you buy 30 percent yes 30 percent of that company you are investing 30 percent into that stock 
of that company and you will offer that company up at this price and pay that price. So you're given a set amount of money, but everybody has to start with a company. And you set the price yourself. Right. But there is a band. There is a range. There, There is a range. It has to be. And when you invest in that company, you're investing from your personal funds. Mm, into that company. Into that company. So now it's almost like you're managing multiple pools of money. Your money and the company's money. And as we talk through these phases, uh, whichever uh, different phases use it di- different pools of money. And at this point in time, when you're investing with the stocks and everything, that always comes from your personal pool. Right. Now, you can buy one stock on each of your turns in this phase. You may sell as much stock as you want. So if you want to sell stock, it's later in the game and you want to sell, you can do that. So you can sell as much as you want, but you may only buy a certificate of a company at a time. And this phase doesn't end until everybody passes. So even if you pass, you can get back into it as long as everybody else has kept going. And this is the part of the game, Tony, where I screwed up. I didn't grasp the concept. I was sitting there going, I want a successful company where I can have money in it and eventually build more factories and do all this, which we'll talk about in a second. What I should have been doing was pulling money out of my company, which we'll explain how that works in a second, into my personal stock because I should have been investing in y'all's companies. Mm -hmm. And I should have invested early because you drove the stock price of y'all's company way up and you can buy 10% at a time, right? Mm -hmm. I can be like, on my turn, Nate, I'm going to buy 10% of the company that you own. I take it from my personal account. I hand it to Nate who puts it in that company's account and then hands me a 10% share of that stock. But you have a feeling it's like Tony's been running that particular company really well. I think he's going to make sure that it pays dividends, which is going to cause that stock price to go up. I'm going to invest in you, Tony. Mm -hmm. And then whatever the current stock price is, I give you that money from my personal account. You give me a share of the stock back. And now I have my own personal company and I've invested in yours. But Tony, also during this stock phase, we could start a new company if we wanted. Yeah. Instead of buying and selling, you can then also start and do the 30% again. You're absolutely right. And you can be running two, three companies as much as you want. So you can always start a new company as well. But here's the thing is, each one of those companies has their own pool of money, right? Yes. So as we go into our these future phases we're going to be talking about, you're going to run each company separately. And when you invest in that particular company, you have to pull from its share of money. So each company has this nice big card that uh, has some uh, information on it. Like there's uh, some factory information where you can run factory to generate resources. And that's the whole purpose. You're trying to generate goods to sell to the public to meet some sort of demand. There's also a place on the card where you can just store your money. And so you're going to have, you have to manage each of these pools separately and try not to get them screwed up, which I almost did a couple times, Tony, because honestly, after this stock phase, your personal money pool is set aside and you really don't use it again. The rest of the uh, the round. That's right. But this is the key phase, investing in the stocks, because based on how much you've invested, then you'll get payouts. And, it, and it's just a rinse and repeat. You just keep going through this phase, invest in a company, get dividends, and then reinvest. And then, or sell off stock. Let's say, you know, somebody's driving up stock and you won't sell it off because end of the game, Whoever has the most money is the winner. Once we stop, I mean, the stock phase is done. We've bought, we've sold, we've started companies. We're good. We set our money aside. It's now time for us to build the company. And this is something Nate said, it does not exist in any 18XX game. 
in the building phase, what you're going to do is draft buildings. There's these little buildings that you're going to be able to put in place on the main player board that will allow people to basically go and put their workers. It's kind of like a worker placement location on the board that's being expanded over the course of the game. These buildings can provide different things. They can provide additional workers or a manager or a salesperson. We'll explain what those are in a second. Particular types of goods. And each of you are going to pick one to put into place on the board that can be used in the, uh, an upcoming phase. Now, we got to be very careful here because workers have to run your factories. Partners are going out and recruiting people. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You're right. The nomenclature is extremely important. A worker is not the thing you put on the board to activate a space. Mm-hmm. It is a partner. And we had, and you got to keep that. This nomenclature, the, the wording is very important at this point. In the building phase, you have three buildings in your hand. And you will pick one. Mm-hmm. and one gets removed from the game. Is that right? Correct. Now, we used the drafting. We did the alternate. Yes. Some people had warned us and said, you know, look, some some people, when you play the game, you could do the draft as a variant, or you could just like draw three tiles and just pick from those. But we did the drafting because some people had ran into situations where uh, it looks like some people may have gotten some really cool buildings mm-hmm. that, uh, and the other people didn't have the chance to ever see those. And plus, I always like drafting. Yeah, we luckily play with the group where drafting is important, so we went th- with that variant. And, and I, I screwed it up. Yeah, it, we did the drafting of the three companies, and then when you're done drafting, then you pick one to play, one to keep, and one to discard. Mm-hmm. And then everybody simultaneously on their partner track or their building track, you flip it over and you display some benefit like if you put a partner here you'll get certain types of goods or if you put a partner here hey you get to automatically produce three goods those are the things that you're doing out there that that oh i have made a benefit that i am providing a service to these companies and that's what that track is representing to me marty i you know to me, these are services that you can go invest in, that you can send your partners out. They can go out and negotiate. Hey, I need to go buy these materials. And that's important in the next phase, which is the action phase where these as these partners are placed. So whenever somebody puts a partner at one of the buildings in your row, you may get a benefit from it. For example, if there's a tile there that says you're going to get two resources, whichever company gets those two resources, it may be, okay, that company has to pay that player a certain amount of money, and that's indicated on the tile. This is another way for players to make money during this time is by building these buildings. Then hopefully they're attractive buildings where people want to go there and you get something in return. I mean, think of partners, Marty, as your entourage. You're sending them out to do your bidding to help run your companies, all your companies. But you're absolutely right. Whichever company benefits is the company that's going to pay. They're they're either going to be paid or pay someone. But once again, it's got to come from the company, not from your personal stash. And that's very important. We've already stated this time and time again, keep your money separate. Now, this is an interesting part of the game, Marty, because I found that when I was putting the building phases out, I was going back to everybody's going to need resources. So therefore, Mm -hmm. I was picking the tiles or the buildings that would generate resources for everyone. That wasn't the thing. 
Now, there's a lot of stuff going on on the board. There, there's these, this, I call it the fame track, where you help build notoriety, notoriety for the company that is very beneficial. There's goods, there's products. So you've got to figure out which ones people are going to really enjoy so that you can gain money. You really should call it the appeal track. Is it the appeal track? Mm-hmm. Since that's what it's called, you might as well call it the appeal track. I, I call it the the, uh, the famous track, the appeal track. I got, Lola, why don't we call it what it is in the game okay, so it doesn't confuse fine. people? It's the appeal track. So the company's appeal, <laughs> making it more appealing. I get it now. Okay, fine. And here's the thing is, it's not only those buildings that you can go to. There are other spots on the board that you can go to in this phase where you can send partners to do things like get workers. Now, this is very important because each company has some factories on their card that you want to try to make sure generates goods. The first factory factory may take one or two workers. It depends because all the companies are totally different. Once you get enough workers in the place for that factory in a future phase, it's going to generate some sort of goods, which is fantastic. But you can also hire managers. And if a manager is in place at a factory, you get a bonus from there. And if you hire a salesperson, when you sell your goods during the demand phase, you actually get more money for those goods. So during this action phase, you're trying to maybe get some money for yourself, get some resources in place to run your factory, make sure your factory has workers, try to hire managers, hire salespeople. Heck, Tony, you can even go to some places that let you automate a factory, which would potentially generate additional goods because now it's more efficient. These are hard choices. You have limited partners. So do I send them out to get workers? Do I send them to go get resources? Do I send them to create appeal? Oh my heavens, do I send them over there to do a company payout on dividends, which is separate than the dividends that are going to come later? So many tough choices, very tight. And depending on what you're doing will depend on how well that company runs in the next phase, the operating phase. And also during this phase too, you have the capital asset tokens, which we didn't mention. These can be is a when you take one of those, it's an initial benefit, and you have to pay to pick these up, pay to the bank. But there also may some companies have a slot on their board for a capital asset token. And once you get it in place, it's like a little bonus action you can do on your turn. Mm. And there's a bunch of different you can do during the game. Some of them just automatically give you some money or automatically give you some resources or move you up the appeal track. So that is something else to consider along with everything else. And you only start out with three partners Mm. and you hope to unlock the fourth, but that's all you got during this phase. And then maybe the fifth one is your appeal track drives up. Oh, my heavens. And if you're running multiple companies, then everybody is so needy out there. So it's tough, but it's time to run these companies in the operating phase. So the first thing you got to do is go claim some resources. And there is an area that has the various resources that are picked by coming out of a bag and they populate this area. Now, we talked about the appeal track. What makes it so appealing? Well, the resources during the operating phase that first company or the company with the best or highest appeal gets to go to the resource market first. That's why that's so important, Marty. You want to go get those cheap resources Mm -hmm. because without resources, now keep in mind, if you want to generate a whole bunch of goods or whatever, I mean, it's going, the, the factory is going, it's going to tell you how many goods you're going to generate. And so the resources are all spent during this time. So you got to go out there and pick those. And if certain resources aren't available, that company may not, be in a good way. Exactly. And that's one thing that, Tony, I did really well in this game, but it didn't help me at all. I was actually able to get enough resources to run my factories over future turns 
to where I wouldn't have to go and worry about them in future turns. Great. I was spending all this money doing that. Instead, I should have been, and we'll talk about this in a second, trying to get money out of my company into my personal pool to invest in other companies. I spent so much time trying to make an efficient company run, but that's not the goal of the game. We got to keep saying this over and over again. If I have stacks of money in my company, but at the end of the game, don't have many in my personal account, I'm going to lose. You got You got to get that money out of the company. You got to show what you invested in was worth it. And I think for me, there, the, the goods is probably one of the easiest things to understand. But then when you operate that company, when that factory runs and you produce the goods, this is an interesting part that we didn't have in our game, which I think is going to be different in future games, is each company will produce in one of four markets. You may be producing in the textile market. You may be, you may be producing some pigs. Oscar Mayer. Oscar Mayer. You may be out there. You might be in sporting goods and clothing and things like that. Anyway, you can only produce goods to those markets. And in those markets, it will tell you that if you, if you supply enough goods in that market, you will get whatever you sold those goods at based on your company sheet plus a bonus. So that's one of those things where you're trying to, if other players are competing, that becomes a strategy because you need to produce those goods such that, hey, how do I get those out there? How do I keep him from taking all that? Yeah, this, uh, this is set up as demand cards in the distribution area. These are randomly generated at the beginning of each round to where some goods may only have two demand, some may have three, some may have four. So the ones with the fewer demand will obviously be easier to fill up quicker and get those bonuses. But this is what's really cool, Tony, over the course of the game. As you fill those demand cards up, they're removed from the game and a new one comes out. What happens in the fifth round as you approach the Depression era, those cards run out. And just like in the Depression, the demand for goods dries up. So if you have a company that's producing a lot of goods, but there's no demand, you're not going to get any money for them. Too much thinking, man. Too much thinking. <laughs> oh, my god! I, th- I, th- I thought thematically that was cool. That was cool. I thought early on, oh, man, I'm generating stuff, and everybody's wanting my months and my stuff, and I'm making a lot of money. And then we hit the depression. It's like, oh, crap. Yep. Nobody wants hot dogs anymore. And then comes the next, the, one of the last phases in this is you choose whether you want to pay dividends or withhold dividends. Now, I'll admit, this is one thing that... I didn't, maybe there's a reason why you want to withhold dividends, but I don't know why. I didn't see either. So why don't you explain what, how, how you pay dividends and then we'll talk about why would you ever want to withhold? Because I agree with you, Tony, this was an option that we had that I just didn't see any reason to do it. Dividends are basically, it's written here in the manual that it's total revenue divided by 10 shares equals your per share earnings. Exactly. So when we produced and sold all those goods, that's all the revenue that we got. And the cost per good is depending on the company because they'll tell you, hey, if you produce this good, it'll generate this amount of money. If you have salespeople, it'll generate a little bit more money. If you fill up and meet the demand cards, you'll get a little bit of bonus for doing that. So you'll sum all that up and divide it by 10. So for example, if your revenue was 150 bucks, divide by 10, that's $15 a share. So then you'll go around the table and whoever has shares, you'll pay that money from the bank. 
if your revenue is greater than the stock value, then it's going to go up by a certain amount. Like for example, if you double it, it's going to move up twice. And if you triple it, it'll move it up three times. And if you withhold, you drive the stock down just one. Yeah. Again, why do you want to withhold? Why would you want to drive the stock price down? I don't know. Well, well, you're holding the money back in the company so that they can maybe reinvest it or, or try to say, hey, next round, this company is going to have X amount in its uh, bank and it's going to be or in its treasury and it's going to be able to produce or hold on to a lot of stuff. And then it's going to really drive up the price and really rocket the stock market. And I'm really going to produce stuff. Well, that well, maybe so, but none of us have ever done it. No, but I think once again, we really didn't compete in the various markets. No, we didn't. We were nice to one another. Yeah, we, we were nice and we could be more brutal uh, in future games. So this is an important round right here. You want to generate enough goods to generate as much revenue as possible so that when you pay out dividends, it will affect your stock price. And if, and Tony, I think pretty much everybody was very good at this to where everybody's stock every round typically went up in value. Once you finish all the math and you do all the churn, then it's the cleanup phase. You reset this, you do that, you just follow the general production of the cleanup. Nothing really to talk about here, Marty. It's, it's rinse mm -hmm. and repeat and go with it. You play your five rounds, and then it's time for the end of the game scoring. Now, one thing we didn't mention. At the beginning of the game, there are five gold tiles laid out. For instance, the company that, the company that owns the most workers, they will give you an additional $200. So, or the company that has the most managers, they get an additional $200 for scoring. You resolve those gold tiles. Then the players will then share back to the bank all their final stock value, Whatever the stock mm -hmm. value is based on what they earn, you get that amount of money. And then you add up the money and voila, there's your winner. That's it. And like I said, at this point, if I'm sitting with Oscar Meyer over here with a stack of coins, doesn't do me any flipping good. No, it doesn't. It's strictly what's in your personal account. And I know that was like, there's a lot going on right there. And I can see why 18x games may intimidate people, but the whole concept of is multiple companies. And during the end of the game, Tony, you had like three companies, right? Mm -hmm. During that course of the game, you had to track the funds of three different companies, use them three different ways, plus your own personal account. Yeah. Uh, which was because I put them on the board, it was fairly easy, but the hard part was three companies with only five partners. That was pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. Now, I can see Marty near the end of the game, maybe on the last turn, because we didn't play the advanced rules where you can lose directorship. You always start with the 30% share when you start a company, but there is a way to be kicked out of your own company, and that's in the advanced rules. Right. Somebody can buy uh, more, uh, more stock than you, and they would basically ownership uh, would transfer. And there are several variants in here. Now, <laughs> there is one variant I, I definitely want to mention that I think is interesting, that I think it's a variant that everybody should use. It says, and I'll quote, in the variant alternate gameplay options, paper money is provided, but we do not recommend you use it unless you're desperate. Instead, we suggest you use poker chips because they're easy to manage, stack nicely, let players act as their own bankers, etc. I 100% agree. I could not imagine, Tony, using paper money in this game. Poker chips made a big difference. 
Yeah, that the, just because trying to manipulate and fold and put your little fingers on all that paper money, especially we were counting out onesies and fives and all this other stuff, it was real easy to pull the poker chips. Yes, get you some poker chips, get what you can so that you're not using the paper money. Definitely a recommendation there. I, I, you know, it would have driven the price up if they included poker chips, but this is a variant, but it does say in here, we give you paper money, but we recommend you don't. I totally understand why. And now I see why 18 XX players have a big old set of poker chips off to the side of the table. Cause they're, they are doing the same thing. Tony, as far as the game itself, I really enjoyed it. The game, our first game that we played, we finished with three players in three and a half hours. And I think we could get it under three. Oh, easily. And even though there were some initial questions, because the rule book is sort of a mess. It is. And here's the thing. Raymond admits there's some tweaking that they need to do. And they're working on a second revision of the rule book. In fact, there is a fact out there on the BGG that they've been tracking. And there are some rules and the fact that just aren't clearly in the rule book or in there at all. So I do recommend looking at the fact. But we were able to get through it, Tony. Mm-hmm. It, it, the thing about the rule book is you have to jump around a lot. Mm-hmm. You have to jump from this page to this page to this page to this. It could flow better, but we were able to get through it and play the game. That's right. And bullets are your friends. And a, a bulleted list is a beautiful thing, people. Use them. It's, it's one click on Microsoft Word where you can get a <laughs> bulleted list. I'm telling you. It's one of those things. Flowcharts are even better, but they're complicated. So all in all, Marty, let's, for me, I'm going to su- sum it up is... This is a game I will put on the table when we have the time. I I enjoyed this game. I I had a lot of fun. We didn't get to play with the expansion companies. I look forward to getting those out and seeing how that goes. I also look forward in playing this again with um, where we are more competitive with one another and buying companies that sell these same type of goods. It will be a very different experience, and we will continue to take the kids' gloves off as we try to wreck one another's companies. Yeah, I've come to find that I, you know, when I first played a very light economic game stockpile, how much I enjoyed that, and now I've ramped up all the way to a heavy economic game. I really enjoy this. Now, Will I eventually try an 18XX? Sure. Uh, hopefully I will sometime. But the fact is, is it gives me the 18XX feel and plays in a shorter amount of time. And I love the theme and the worker placement thing. I love worker placement games. And that mechanic right there just made it feel very familiar to me as a typical Euro style game. I too can't wait to play, uh, play this again too, Tony. So with that said, Two big shoulder thumbs up from Marty and Tony on. Oh, you're. I thought you would follow up with me, man. Come on, you're there on, for on on City of the Big Shoulders by Raymond Chandler from Parallel Games. They, that what you? That's that what you I was mean? trying to get to. Yeah. Okay, we got it. Kinda. Five minute initiative begins in three, two. One. I've admitted on this show that I'm not a huge Roland Wright type fan. I think there's so many of them out there. They're a lot of feel samey to me. Tony, you are a Roland Wright fan. So I couldn't wait to try this because everybody said, Marty, you need to try Cartographers, a role player tale from Thunderworks Games and designer Jordy Adden. And, and let me know what you think. Well, first off, Tony, there's no dice in this game, so it's not really a roll and write. It's, it's more of a draw a card and write. Yeah, just like we talked about where I did with Second Chance. It's a draw and draw. It's a draw it's and a draw. D- yeah. It's a D&D. Yeah, that's not going to be confusing. Uh, so you've got <laughs> on your little pad of paper that you're going to be writing on basically a grid, and you're going to be trying to 
build out a town, basically build out land, you know, farms and seas and villages and houses. But the way you do it is all dictated by some scoring cards are going to be placed out at the beginning of the game. You're going to play over the course of four seasons, and there's going to be four scoring tiled cards put into place out of 16 randomly drawn, A, B, C, and D. And in the spring phase, you're going to score the A and B card. In the summer phase, you're going to score B and C card. In the fall phase, you're going to do C and D. And in the winter, you're going to do D and A. So every time you're going to score two different cards. So Tony, during each season, you're going to, we're going to flip over a card and it says, okay, you need to draw this type of terrain on your card, on your paper with this shape. So everybody does so. And everybody does so with the goals of mine of looking at the cards out there. It's like, ooh, it says here, if I form a perfect square, I can get points if I do that. Ooh, if I join these three mountain ranges together by farmlands, I can get some points. So basically, what's on the table will dictate how you draw on the paper. Key point here is how you're drawing on the paper, you've got to take into account future scoring. Because if you don't, you really mess up your score. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. I did that. I did not think <laughs> far enough ahead in later rounds where I messed that up. I didn't catch that. And that's a key point. Now, Marty, you said draw your town. No, you're a cartographer. You're, you're doing a map. You're, you're exploring. You're mapping. You're using Tetris pieces again. Oh, my gosh. Spatial relations. Let me just say, I really enjoyed it, though. Yeah. And during, in the deck of cards, basically, there's values in the upper left-hand corner. And you end the round when those values equal whatever the value of the current season is. Say, for example, spring says, once you have cards totaling eight or more, then stop and immediately score the A and B cards, then move to the summer season. And the game progresses till you go through all four seasons. But there's a catch, Tony, and it's this catch. There's three catches, Marty. There's three catches. One on your map. It's not as easy as just placing stuff. There's mountains and ruins in the way. That's true. And you can't build on top of a mountain. You can't build on top of a mountain, so you got to put your pieces around that. Another catch is... Ruins card is once it shows up, it says, okay, the next terrain piece you show must be built on top of a ruin. So you got to deal with that because if you can't, then you have to fill in a space, which is okay. And the final thing that you really enjoyed. Oh, this is the best. You actually have minions or monsters coming out and attacking you. At the beginning of the game, one is randomly dealt, dealt into the deck. And as you flip over cards, if a monster comes up, it'll tell you, pass your sheet that you're working on to the left or to the right. That person who gets your sheet must draw this shape with a monster icon on your on your grid and then hand it back to you so basically they're trying to screw you up and i didn't think i would like to take that mechanic of this game but that's what made this game because that was the funniest thing when you try to screw somebody else up and you laugh at somebody and then you get your sheet back and you go crap what did you just do to me and one of the things is that when you score at the end of that phase then any monster tile that does not have something adjacent is a bad point is a negative point negative point <laughs> negative point it's not a good point it's a bad point and now i will say that sometimes you can help people by putting those monsters in certain locations to help them fill out their thing and sometimes the monsters don't show up sometimes we don't we go through it and we don't draw them but as it progresses more and more monsters get added very fun mechanic. I enjoyed that one a lot. And yes, it's a very take that. So for people who only like to stay in their little world and explore their little lands, 
you're not going to like it. And the best thing is, is this can play up one to however many pieces of paper that you have in the pad of paper, right? Because everybody is simultaneously drawing at the same time and you pass the sheets left or right. Again, as a non roll and write fan, I now have a new roll and write that I really enjoy. Cartographers from Thunderworks Games. I dig it, Tony. You're pulling me over to your side with this one. What did you think? I enjoyed it a whole lot. This is one that um, I wish Donna would enjoy the take that mechanic, but I don't think she will. But this is this is a fun game. Five minute initiative is complete. PortalGamesUS.com, which is blocked by my company, so I can't really see their webpage at this time, but that's okay. <laughs> the Essen releases are coming. They're on their way. Ooh, I didn't made a rhyme, I think. Anyway, one of those is Preda Porter. Huge Kickstarter success. Be sure to check that one out. If you didn't get it in on the Kickstarter, Preda Porter's coming out soon. I can't wait to get this game on the table, see what Marty thinks, see how good of a fashion designer he is. And then, of course, we have the expansion to Empires of the North, Japanese Islands. Is that right, Marty? That's it. Woohoo! So they're coming along. They're going to try to take out those Vikings. That's okay. We're good with that. They're coming across the... That's a lot of ocean to get across. That's why it was an expansion. It took them this long to get over there. And then Nurishima Hex has their next expansion out. Oh, still one of my favorite games out there. Monolith Arena, of course, but that is Sandrunners. Here's another exciting bit of news too. Tony, can you believe that Portal has actually decided to be a sponsor for us again another year? Another year? Man. At any time now, I keep expecting when we ask, do you want to be a sponsor, Ignacy just to laugh and like hang up on us. But no, he said fine, I'll do it again just because I won a squirrely last year. And it's like, well, it doesn't mean you're going to win a squirrely this year, buddy. Yeah, that was your first one. So, we, we, you know, we ain't get, you may not win anymore. Who knows? Well, I can't say that. I was gonna say, what are really you talking good. about? Because squirrelies can be bald. Plain and simple. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there, there is no shame here. <laughs> Let's go with it. So, portalgamesus.com. Plenty of releases coming out for Essence. Be sure to go check out their website. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. We got on the table from Plan B Era by Matt Leacock. This has got some dice. This has got some plastic in it. This is one of those games that you're going to sit there and you're going to be building a town because what's important is to get the most points at the end of the game. Isn't that right, Marty? It, it, it always is. You know, we've been talking about some rolling rights and drawing, drawing draws and stuff like that. This is a roll and build. Roll and build. That's right. Really nice components. Let's just go ahead and put that on the table and say, hey, there's some incredible components in here that have a whole bunch of buildings and these buildings do special things. But the key thing is on the turn, everybody rolls some dice. Their own pool of dice. Their own pool of dice. And on these dice, there are various icons from stone to wood to a build to a skull. Oh, you got all the, oh, got some wheat. And on your turn, there are how many phases, Marty? Are there five phases that you go through after you, ro you roll the dice? That's one phase. Next is the collect phase when, like you said, you collect your resources. Oh, and, and then we're going to move into the disaster phase where you're going to count the number of skulls on your dice. Because, Tony, some of these have skulls. And when skulls come up, 
bad things happen. Like if you just have one skull on your pool of dice, then basically you're just going to lose a resource. But it can go up all the way to attacking people and causing wreaking havoc depending on the number that shows up. But the thing is, though, is when you roll in the initial phase, any die that has a skull on it can't be re-rolled. So you get two re-rolls unless it has a skull. So you might be kind of stuck with those. And Tony, I just got to pause right here. I got a bone to pick with you. Why is that? Because you were purposely trying to get three skulls. Was it three or four skulls and causing me and Nate to have put scorched earth on our map, which is basically this plastic square that we put on a little board that can't be built on top of and basically makes useless land. And you give us like five of those stupid things. All right. But that's part of the strategy. Because if you get disease, you get negative points. And I had plenty because you didn't explain to me that if disease meets the bottom of the track, that's a bad thing. Okay, you did. I just chose to ignore it. So I decided, well, if I've got two skulls here, I might as well try to re-roll for three so that you have to pay the price, not me. Well, it worked. So rolling skulls isn't necessarily bad for you. It could be bad for somebody else. Exactly. You could be attacking, removing a building, whatever. So after you handle your disease phase, then you go into your, is it? Let's build. Build. I was going to say, because we're not feeding yet. Oh, no. Actually, we should have fed earlier. Oh, we, we should have fed early. Go ahead and feed those people, Tony. That's right. For every dice you have, you have to feed them based on how many wheat you have. And you're tracking your resources on top of the board. And if you don't have enough. For everyone that you can't feed, you uh, take a negative point. What a pain in the butt. Because they're sick. So they get disease. They get hurt. So yeah, you're taking negative points. So it's always important to try to get as many food as dice as you have. As you, as you get more dice over the course of the game, you better have some farms and stuff in place to build food or get food. So during the build phase, all those resources you got, wood and stone and, and the market, you spend those to invest in buildings. And Tony, there's a bunch of different buildings that do a lot of different things. That's right. And you got this handy dandy cheat sheet right in front of you that will help you all the way through that. You fed them, you've built stuff, rinse and repeat. Well, hold on. What? No, you don't rinse and repeat yet. Oh, there's because one more then phase. Oh. some of the dice have swords on them. And at this point, if you have more swords than somebody else, you just get to steal a resource from them. I was like, I got three swords. You only got two. Uh, I'll, I'll take some from you. I got three swords. Oh, you got four shields on one of your dice. Well, I can't steal from you. So then after that point, then you rinse and repeat until a certain number of buildings are gone from the supply, depending on the number of players. Count up your points. Person with the most points wins. Right. The key aspects of some of these buildings, there's walls that you have to build that will double your points if you complete them mm -hmm. and all this other good stuff. Once again, a Tetra-style pieces that you've got to figure out in place and you got to worry about these dice. Oh, my heavens. Some buildings give you extra dice. Some buildings give you points for however much culture that you have. Some buildings give you extra points for the number of resources you have. Some buildings, if like you have nothing around them, you get points. It's, it's a lot of stuff going on. So there's a lot of things to choose from when you're deciding to build and what strategy you want to use. And for me... I'd had none. It showed at the end game. I had no points. It was pathetic. Would I bring this game out again? Of course I would to try to get better and better at it. The only negative I had was this feeding mechanic in it. I understand it's there, but I really don't appreciate it. Kind of like everything else. I'm like, okay, feeding mechanic. All in all, it's rolling dice. I'm having fun. I'm building stuff. It's very pleasing aesthetically. Just why do I got to feed people? Tony, I like this game too, but I do have a question for you. Because of all the plastic pieces and everything, this game is $70. 
$70 MSRP. So that's kind of pricey. That's let me put you out of it. But if you go to miniature market, it's only $48.29. So Tony, that's a good discount. So let me ask you, if you go to, to miniature market, you think it's worth the $50 price tag? For those pieces? Oh, yeah. Gameplay wise, um, if it was a rolling right, it'd be $20. But other than that, yeah, for those pieces, yeah, I don't see why not. If you're into the rolling right type game, except you actually want more of a tactical thing, you need to check out Air from Matt Leacock, Plan B Game, Eckert Spiel, out now. Five minute initiative is complete. Tony, I love it when people come out with brand new content for board games. And a group had reached uh, reached out to us who had a show on YouTube called The Meeple People Show. And I went and checked this out. And it's like sketch-based comedy, but it's handled over the course of uh, several episodes where it kind of tells a story. So you follow these characters. It's much like the old show, Borth Life, that used to be on a long time ago. It's that sort of sketch comedy thing. And they're out on the, uh, the YouTubes, if you want to check them out, at The Great Indoors, which is... D-H-E-G-R-8 indoors, and they got the whole series out there. I will say this is probably uh, not safe for work or not safe for kids. There is some adult language. So if you want to go see some good sketch comedy and you want to see something that's a little bit different than just people doing reviews and stuff like that, uh, then go uh, check it out. Okay, well, if it's not safe for work, I know it'll be blocked, so I'll have to do this at home. <laughs> All right. Well, you can watch on YouTube, though, right? No, I can only listen to music on YouTube because it's... Oh, uh, okay. it's Actually, uh, they, they block the streaming so that YouTube doesn't stream very well, so I'll hear this, uh, you know, if I'm doing music, uh, and it keeps going, I'm just, oh, there's so many pauses, just shut it down. But that <laughs> enough about me. Let's talk about... September. In September, a very special event occurs. That's right. It's Talk Like a Pirate Day. Arrgh. I thought that had died out by now. I wish you had. If it has, if Talk Like a Pirate is not your thing, maybe it is Play Like a Pirate Day on September 24th. Ooh. I'm sorry, tw- September 21st. That's right. Get out those beautiful Talk Like a Pirate games. No, Play Like a Pirate games. Hey, there's a Facebook page. Tim Bresnan. Yes. He is the man behind this. See what it's all about. Now, I'll admit, Rebecca has gone off to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she's not going to be here for me to play like a pirate. And Donna's not going to give me the sound effects, but that's okay. Well, all right. You have, have, have fun with that. Okay, listen to you. Well, we've got a pirate game from Bidden Island that we need to get on the table. So maybe on Play Like a Pirate Day, we'll make that happen. Which game? Uh, for, uh, why are you doing this to me? You know I can't multitask like this. I don't know. You said you had a game you want us to play. I'm just curious what it was. Oh, good gosh. Why don't you cover the goodbye speech, and I'll come back with that. Forbidden Island, the Matt Leacock game? No, not Forbidden. Oh, see, now I've got... Forbidden Stars, the Warhammer 40K game? Heck yeah, I'll play that. I'll talk like a pirate if I have to, just be able to play it. You sure you want to do that? <laughs> All right, look, while you're looking that up, I just wanted to say, uh, if you are fans of Blue Peg, Pink Peg like we are, then you probably already know this news. But if not, just let you know, one of the founders and creators of the show, Blue Peg, Pink Peg, Patrick, 
has decided to step down from the show in his last episode. He announced that would be his last episode on the show. I was sad, man. I was sad, Tony, when I heard it, because it's one of those things that us and Blue Peg, Pink Peg started out, I don't know, within like six months of each other. And it's one of those things that early on, we kind of leaned on each other. You know, they're in Virginia. We're in North Carolina. We're close by. We became really good friends with them. And it's just like we've kind of grown together over the past six and a half years. And, you know, their friendship means a lot to me. And I was sad to see Patrick decide to to move on. But he says, you know, he's got some exciting things he wants to do. He's not going to be totally out of the board game industry. He just wants to focus his energy and stuff in other places. So I can't wait to see uh, where he goes. So best of luck, Patrick, but man, we, we will miss you. And uh, boy, I hope uh, Rob and Christina can uh, pick up on the editing duties. Cause uh, now you're going to get to see what I have to go through every two weeks. Hey, like I said, if you ever said I'm, you're going to go concentrate somewhere else, you won't take on editing duty. That's all from rolling dice and taking names. <laughs> Turn out the lights and <laughs> shut the door. We are done. Cause I know you go through a lot. By the way, that was forbidden games, extraordinary adventures, Pirates. Oh, yeah, 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 yes, yes. Yeah, okay, dude, I'll play that. That's the new game that came out as a Kickstarter. We got to play the prototype earlier this year. What's a racing game? Yes, it uh, is. By Glenn Drover? Yeah. Yes. So that's it. See, man, I'm telling you, I've been up since 5 a.m., okay? So I am struggling now. You've made me talk about all these games. I have lost my total concentration. It is gone. I've got people texting me about stuff. So you know what, Marty? What? Keep rolling dice. <laughs> <laughs> and taking names. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to, you can follow us on the YouTubes at Roll Dice Take Names, where we're trying to increase the number of series that we're doing. Like my new series, where I'm going to be reviewing Nintendo Switch board game apps. You can follow us on Twitter at Dice and Names, Instagram Dice and Names, and our BGG Guild 1589. And Tony's Ping. That's great. That's what happens during the commercial. He goes in peace. Lovely. Lovely. All right, people. Thousand new games coming out from Essen, which means a whole nother set of pre-orders are going to be popping up on Miniature Market. And you want to go over there and get your pre-order in. Because you know how it is. Some of these games are going to be super hot. They're going to be limited. They're going to be hard to get. So you want to make sure you get your pre-order in now. And remember, you can always hold off on that shipment until you get to $100 in total orders and combine those orders together. When they do, they'll ship that out to your house for free, baby. So if you want to check out some great prices and some amazing pre-orders, go over to miniaturemarket.com. Mm-hmm.